Everyone has a story. Stories of adversity, stories of perseverance, stories of accomplishments, and maybe even stories that will make others laugh. No matter the story, we can be inspired and motivated by them. Most of all, we can learn from them. This is the Big Peach Ride Run Podcast, hosted by me, Dave D2 Martinez, and I want to hear your story. And welcome. Yes, I am your host, D2. And yes, it is spring. Yes, as we release this episode uh, on March 20th, it is officially spring. We had the time change a week ago. And yes, uh, we did get a little bit of a cold snap. Um, we had that tease of that warmer weather. We had some great, nice spring weather. Then it got cold again. We got in the temps into the thirties and, you know, bring out your, your cold weather running clothes or just cold gear altogether and, uh, turn that heat back on. But now it is spring. Hopefully we'll start seeing those temps kind of warm up a little bit and just get those nice, pleasant, uh, days outside, you know, hopefully not a lot of rain so we can, you know, the longer days as well, we can spend more time outside. So I'm hoping everyone is getting an opportunity, uh, or we'll take the opportunity to spend some time outdoors, enjoy the day, um, you know, and, uh, take a break from, from work, from whatever you're doing and just spend some time outdoors, whether it's just walking, running or riding, whatever it is, um, looking so much forward to, to spring, um, and that we can put at least the, this winter behind us. Um, so today on the episode, I've got Rebecca Cerna, who is the executive d- director of Propel ATL. And uh, what she, um, you know, you know, does is she's an advocate for, you know, a bike and pedestrian safety. Um, their mission statement basically says it's their vision, uh, you know, in Atlanta where everyone moves safely easily and sustainably throughout the city. It's their mission to reclaim Atlanta streets as safe, inclusive, and thriving spaces for people to ride, walk, and roll. So whether you're a cyclist, a pedestrian, whether you use a scooter, a skateboard, whatever it is, it's their goal to make the streets safe um, so that, you know, we, you know, no lives are lost. Um, so, you know, building an infrastructure that connects neighborhoods and communities um, you know, improve sidewalk access, uh, improve transit. Uh, they work with MARTA. So we'll have that conversation. Um, but before we get to that, um, I did mention on the last episode that I had a race coming up. It was the Coyote Ugly uh, 30K, 50K. I signed up for the 30K. And I, I completely forgot when the race was. I knew it was in March. I didn't realize it was the first Saturday in March. So I kind of got a little bit of a panic and I hadn't really been running. I'd been doing a lot of cycling, um, but not a whole lot of running. So I ended up backing off of the cycling and putting in a week of really ramping up my run and, um, went out and started doing a 10 mile run, then a 12 mile and then a 15 mile trail run in order to get me prepared. So the 30 K is a little bit over 18 miles and had no real big expectations. I just really wanted to cross that finish line and have a great race. Luckily it was a beautiful day. I think the attempt started kind of in the high forties and finished kind of in the low to mid sixties sun was out, blue skies. It was beautiful up there in LJ. And I got to say, if you're into trail running, um, it's, it's, I would recommend you go up there because the trails are spectacular. The views are spectacular. Um, it was, uh, the race started at uh, Mulberry Gap, 
Adventure Camp, I believe. I'll have the link. I'll, I'll post that in the show notes. But uh, a place where you can camp, rent a cabin if you want. They've got, uh, I think, a convenience store there, and I think they also provide uh, meals um, as part of you know you know whatever depends on what you what you purchase um, as far as your camping, whether you're bringing your own food or whether you can buy your own food uh, you know up there. Um, but um, hilly course. Absolutely, of course, yeah, North Georgia uh, mountains, it's going to be hilly. I kind of knew that going in, and uh, my goal was basically just to, uh, you know, kind of be consistent. Just don't go out hard at the start and, uh, and you know, just finish strong. And uh, so that was my goal, and, uh, you know, it, it went really well. I, I was surprised at, at, at how I performed that day. Um, it was, I ran at what I would say is more of a conversational type of pace for the majority of it. I never kind of, my heart rate, I don't think really spiked too much except on if I ran up some of the, some of the climbs. Um, but I try to keep my effort very consistent, whether it was running downhill on flats or going uphill. And there was a lot of leapfrogging between runners. And luckily, at the very beginning, we started out on a gravel road that was probably about a mile and a half uh, long. So it was wide enough to where you could kind of pass people, you know, fairly safely. And there are a lot of people that were already walking some of those uphills. So just a nice, easy run um, on those uphills allowed me to kind of position myself, sort of kind of... um, in that front group, I think as we kind of turned into the trails, um, I was probably like somewhere in the top 20, you know, maybe even 15, 16th place thereabouts from what, at least from what I could see. And so it was a little concerned that maybe I pushed it a little too hard, but, uh, it turns out I, that was, uh, you know, a, a, a great race strategy for me. Um, I was able to continue to run up uphill, um, at a nice comfortable pace, and, you know, there were people that were really like flying on the downhills that just left me in the dust. But I figured I'm not a great downhiller. And I figured if I tried that approach, I would really kind of beat up my quads. So I just kind of held back and um, it worked really well for me. I ended up kind of catching up to those, um, not, not everyone, but most of those individuals that did pass me on those downhills. And, uh, you know, very consistent. I did make, uh, you know, the... The course, I was looking at my watch and it ended up being longer, it ended up being almost 20 miles. And I probably added a half mile due to my own mistake. Um, looking at my watch, I was like, all right, I'm at 19 miles. Where's the turn? And I recognized, I'm like, okay, there's the camp. So let me just turn uh, right into this, this gate and then just go up to the finish line. And I turned and I didn't really see anyone there, no, you know, uh, and just ran up and, you know, came to where I thought was the finish line. And it was a finish line. And when I asked, like, is this the finish line? They're like, yeah, but you came from the wrong direction. And so I had to go back down, got directions. And basically I was ready to be done. So I did not look further up the road and like right there at the gate, you know, um, just another, you know. 10, 15 feet was a sign that's directed to continue to go forward, you know, further up, up the road to the next gate. Um, and then, you know, um, connect to some trails that were part of that property that would have me run, um, you know, towards the back end and then come out to the finish line. So I ended up doing that and yeah, I added probably another half mile. So I ended up finishing like just under 20 miles. Um, 
But there was a significant uh, gap there between individuals that I didn't lose placement. There was no one that was really behind me. So that was good. I added more time, but I didn't lose placement. And I did finish. Um, it, it, I was really surprised with it a couple of days later when I found, uh, looked up the results. I ended up finishing seventh overall, um, fifth male and second in my age group. So that pacing strategy worked for me. It's something that I'd seen um, on one of the cycling videos uh, with, a, you know, they say uh, consistency is efficiency and it worked for me because that's what I was trying to do is just be consistent in my effort, not to go too hard um, at any particular point, especially at the beginning of the race and then suffer at the end. So overall, I had a great race. Um, I didn't feel like too banged up. I was ready to be done. Uh, my feet were hurting a little bit. Um, there were several water crossings, so uh, I did get a couple blisters on my toes. I maybe didn't provide enough, um, you know, use a sports shield, um, um, what's it called? Um, yeah, sports shield by two toms and um, use that on my feet, but I may have missed a spot or um, maybe hadn't run in those shoes um, enough time to kind of build up, um, uh, you know, to that abrasion that it would cause um, right there on my toes. So it was a Challenger ATR. It's a lightweight shoe, perfect for traction, great uh, drainage. Um, like I said, I did have a little bit of issue. I'll have a full review on that shoe uh, down the road on the YouTube channel. But um, yeah, had a great race, and I, I, I'm set up for um, for uh, a, a, a more, you know other great races um, just because I started training earlier in the year, and I do think that cycling. Uh, did contribute to my fitness, um, not necessarily my ability to run, but just my overall aerobic fitness that allowed me to um, not run faster, but not get tired. And it just it helped my endurance. Um, uh, so I think that's a good compliment without me uh, really kind of banging up my feet or my legs for you know too much and allowing me to recover kind of quicker. All right. So that is my race recap. Um, so Getting to the topic of of uh, this podcast, this episode here is uh, talking to Rebecca Serna, uh, um, the executive director with uh, Propel ATL, um, and she's an advocate for you know just um, bike pedestrian safety and infrastructure, working with MARTA and city leaders um, to. Uh, improve the infrastructure and uh, connect neighborhoods, make things safer um, for whether you're bike commuting, whether you're a pedestrian, you know, whether you're using, um, you know, any type of transit like a MARTA um, to, uh, you know, alleviate traffic, but at the same time, you know, maybe even improve um, the environment. But primar primarily it's about safety and just, um, you know, infrastructure that's going to make access um, to commute safer, whether you're on the bike or on, on your feet. Um, so she, um, she studied, um, um, part, uh, let's see, uh, her, oh no, here it is. Um, look at my notes. She got a master's degree from Georgia State's, uh, Andrew Young School of Policy Studies in Urban Policy and Planning and Nonprofit Management. She, uh, also interned with the Georgia, uh, Department of Transportation, 
studied participatory planning projects and innovative public transportation projects in Bogota, Colombia. And I think she'll mention that um, as part of uh, our conversation. And then she's won several awards, including in 2020, she um, received the Advocate of the Year from the League of American um, Bicyclists. In 2015, Woman of the Year uh, from the Women in Transportation Seminar. And in 2013, uh, Advocate of the Year from the Alliance for Biking and Walking. So obviously, she's got the credentials to talk about this. She has a lot of um, success and it's still a lot of work to do. And we'll get uh, into all those details and the conversation with Rebecca right after this break. At Big Peach Running Company, we take pride in listening to your needs. We take into account the shape of your feet, previous injuries, and activity level to guide you to comfortable shoes for your feet. Whether you're a runner, walker, fitness enthusiast, or simply need comfortable shoes to wear, we offer the best customer experience in the friendliest environment. It's no wonder we've been voted one of the best running stores in America by our fans. Visit any of our nine Big Peach Running Company locations for a free fit assessment and video gate analysis. Go to BigPeachRunningCompany.com to learn more. All right, welcome back, everyone. So I am uh, really uh, happy and pleased to have Rebecca Cerna, Executive Director of Propel ATL, with us on the podcast. As I mentioned earlier, uh, it's their vision where Atlanta, uh, everyone can move safely, easily, and sustainably throughout the city. It is their mission to reclaim Atlanta's streets as safe, inclusive, and thriving spaces for people to ride, walk, and roll. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. It's, uh, I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a while. I know we've tried to connect at various uh, different points, but I feel that what you guys are doing and your mission is uh, an important part of the community, especially, you know, for our organization, which primarily started as pedestrian. You know, we've always talked about being a pedestrian active uh, lifestyle. And now that we're, um, you know, going into the ride uh, space with bikes, that this is even a bigger concern because as, as a cyclist, I find that that's a little bit more where it's uh, maybe a little bit more dangerous, uh, where we really, we really need to focus more on safety because most of the times we're sharing the road with vehicles that, you know, you know present a, a potential danger to us. Um, as a cyclist. So um, tell us a little bit uh, about kind of what your you know, ob objectives are, kind of what you're working on, and uh, we'll dive down into a little bit of, of those details. That sounds great. Um, so we have had a busy three years. Um, we expanded our mission. We started out kind of in the other direction. We started out focused on biking. And over the years, um, looking at the crash data in particular, um, we came to realize that people walking in Atlanta are really the ones who are being most affected by these really dangerous high-speed streets where the crosswalks might be half a mile apart in some neighborhoods and people got to get across the street, catch the bus, get to work, get to school, um, and they're being hit by cars. And unfortunately, too many people um, in that situation are getting seriously injured or, or even killed in those crashes. So um, we wanted to add pedestrian safety um, we've been working with PEDS for a long time. Um, and then coming out of the pandemic, there was an opportunity to merge with PEDS. And then transit, um, I think, has probably the greatest potential to move the most number of people in a sustainable way. And it dovetails really nicely with biking and walking and even things like skateboarding. Um, I talked with a student who's working on a skateboarding project at Georgia State the other day. Um, scooters, of course, a lot of people getting around on those and just all things um, that are sustainable and get people moving around the city in, in different ways, I think can help our city grow in a, in a better way going forward. 
Yeah. So just to kind of let our listeners kind of kind of recap is that initially when you were um, focused more on cycling, it was the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition. And then in 2021, you merged with PEDS, which is Pedestrians Educating Drivers on Safety. So um, so now you're working together. And, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, in my mind, I wouldn't necessarily think that, you know, pedestrians were in that much, you know, uh, risk you know, because, you know, there, there's, you would think that there's sidewalks and, you know, where cyclists tend to be more on the road, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, it seems that in, in some stories that, like I said, you know, either there's not, there isn't any sidewalk access. So if mm-hmm. someone's on, you know, walking, they actually have to share the road and maybe be on the side of the road, on the shoulder of the road. Um, and that presents a problem. Right. And then really where the the biggest part of the issue comes in is just trying to get across the street. Um, We have built a lot of streets that are mostly about moving cars through quickly. And as Atlanta has grown, we have not given as much consideration to how are people going to get places once they're outside of their cars or if they don't own a car. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of runners um, could speak to this as well. My husband's a runner and Atlanta's broken sidewalks are uh, not the friendliest for running in a lot of, in a lot yeah. of neighborhoods where we are, you know, we're missing sidewalks in a lot of communities, the neighborhoods that were redlined, um, the sidewalk coverage in those neighborhoods is really, really low. So the city hadn't been investing in, in sidewalks in their communities for a long time. So we have a lot to make up for. Um, fortunately there is a lot of money right now for transportation infrastructure. So we're just trying to make sure that the, um, local governments and and local communities are able to really tap into that and build the sidewalks, build the safe pedestrian crossings, build the bike lanes um, and get better access to transit so we can all get where we need to go. So that's one of the things that I've seen, you know, because I've been on, you know, social media and and have seen, you know, individuals that um, really do bike commute everywhere. And that is one of their biggest gripes is that something that is typically within their neighborhood, maybe a mile or two away, um, they have to maybe travel three to four miles to find, you know, to commute safely because they're, the infrastructure isn't there. It might be because the neighborhood got split through an, because an interstate, you know, mm-hmm. cuts right through the middle of that neighborhood. And so in order to route to go to a doctor's appointment by bike, um, or, you know, or go grocery shopping, they have to take a longer route. Um, and it's, you know, and even then it still may not be a safe route. Um, so I'm seeing, you know, a lot of that. Um, so what are things that are, you're working with along the city? I mean, is there things that we can change within the city to make, you know, to reroute to, I mean, it's one of those things where once there's a, you know, interstate going through your neighborhood, it's kind of hard to say, well, we're going to remove that, but what are things that can be done or that you're working on to, you know, uh, address some of those concerns and issues? Yeah, we have two layers that we're working on this. One is at the community level. I have seen neighborhood organizations and neighborhood planning units be more and more effective at getting things like traffic calming that makes local streets uh, safer and friendlier to bike on because you don't always need a dedicated separated facility on a local neighborhood street. You might need it to just be a street where cars are encouraged to go at a slower speed and then you can more safely um, interact in that space. Um, And so we have the Community Advocates Network where we help and support and train and connect people to be that advocate for the streets in their community, because you know the streets in your neighborhood the best. 
Um, and so joining together, people can form that voice and, and be a louder voice for change in their community and kind of ladder up through the neighborhood planning unit, through the city council, um, and up to the Atlanta Department of Transportation and even the Georgia Department of Transportation, because a lot of um, streets and going through neighborhoods are state routes. Um, I live in Southeast Atlanta and Memorial Drive is a major state route um, through Southeast Atlanta that we've been able to get some changes on. I wouldn't say it's a bike friendly corridor now, mm. but um, it is a safer corridor. You can cross it more safely. Um, you can walk along it more safely. And so some of these intersections are, are really key barriers for people getting around. You know, if you live in a neighborhood that's hemmed in by a lot of high speed, dangerous streets in the interim, as we're trying to make those streets safer for people to walk and bike on and ride transit on, at least being able to cross those streets safely does make people's lives better. Um, and then at the um, other end of this, I'm joining the oversight committee for the money that the city has allocated um, as approved by voters. It's called Moving Atlanta Forward. Um, in 2022. So I think oversight is really key. Accountability is really key to making sure those projects get built this time, because the last time we had a bond and a T-splast, uh, it didn't turn out so well. We have a lot of projects that um, still have not been built or still in the pipeline. Um, and looking at the structural reasons for that, our city's DOT, the Atlanta Department of Transportation um, that we advocated for and are, are very excited about, it's only three years old. And the funding for it is probably half what it needs to be when it's a fully mature department. So, you know, you can't get blood from a stone. Um, we can't get all these projects unless we have people to manage and deliver them. So we're just going to need more people uh, working on this. Yeah. So I think when you're what you're referring to, and I saw this on your website, that was I think it was back in uh, 2016. There was a vote to increase city sales tax by half a penny for over 40 years to fund expanded moderate transit service, and yet six years later, there's still no new transit lines open. And that was actually a separate tax. That's oh, okay. the more important tax. Um, there was also a T-splast um, quarter of uh, sorry four tenths of a penny splitting hairs here, but you know, it, it adds up into big dollars for um, road infrastructure. And that included a lot of uh, complete streets projects. DeKalb Ave probably is the best known one of those, um, Cascade Road. Those are um, both funded through that 2016 and um, TSPLAST and also the 2015 bond. And then in 2016, the more MARTA sales tax was passed. Um, and really a lot of similar challenges with, with those projects on the MARTA side of things. Um, they didn't necessarily have the people structure in place to move quickly to start delivering those projects. And so now they're having to reprioritize that list. They're realizing costs have gone up. They keep doing that. And, uh, you know, as time goes by, if you don't uh, move on some of these projects, it gets harder to, to deliver them for the budget that you originally had. So they're having to cut back that project list. And um, our, our default is always, you need to engage people in these decisions. Taxpayers voted for these allocations and you know taxpayers should have a voice in deciding how they're spent. So that's what we're calling on, on MARTA and the city of Atlanta to do is engage people in these decisions. 
So, I mean, is that, is it all because costs have kind of risen that a lot of these projects haven't worked or is there another reason? Because you would think that all that, all that money that has been collected, I'm like, where has it gone? What, you know, what has it been used for? Has it been, you know, misappropriated? Has it been allocated to other projects? You know, I, I mean, what's the story behind that? Well, one of the things that money has been spent on based on MARTA's reports to the city is um, what they call enhanced bus service. And we do want to see more bus service, but I'm not sure that we're getting the results that um, the spending would indicate. So I think, you know, I, I catch the bus and my bus service has actually diminished since the pandemic. Of course, that was a, a huge challenge for transit and right. ridership still has not recovered after the pandemic. They're at about 60% of um, what it was pre-2020. pre, pre 2020. Um, So they've been spending a lot on that bus service, but I think for the average MARTA rider, probably not seeing it. Um, And then they spent a lot on planning these big capital expansion projects. And what that means is a lot of spending on consultants and consultants are expensive. So Mm -hmm. that goes back to having the people in place internally within an agency. Um, You know, you have to have people to deliver projects. You can't just spend the money on capital magically. It doesn't happen by magic. It happens through years of hard work and focus. And I think, you know, doing that with internal staff is always going to be more cost effective than consultants, even though you need consultants for some things that you might not have the expertise for. Um, so I think there's a lot of factors in there. Um, time and inflation are, is um, part of it. Um, but part of it is just strategic decision making and, and stick into a process. You know, we got to prioritize the transit expansion that's going to get us uh, the most additional transit. That's what more MARTA is all about. It's more MARTA. Right. I mean, I guess uh, it makes sense that in, 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 uh, in that if you're, if you're, all you're doing is getting consultants and you're spending that money on that, but you're not moving forward, then you're really not making any progress. You may have some great ideas, but I think at a certain point, those, some ideas are better implemented, even if they're not the the best ideas, you know, and like I said, getting uh, feedback from the community will probably help steer those into what's going to work best for those communities. Um, so it's unfortunate that, you know, nothing has moved forward. I think things have moved forward, but just not as quickly as we'd like. So the Summerhill Bus Rapid Transit Project, that's something we've been paying close attention to. Um, trying to get more uh, multimodal facilities alongside that, so bike lanes and pedestrian access, as well as the, the bus. Um, so that's that's moving into construction, and they, you know, you do have to do a lot of planning with transit projects. So you, you can't skip that part of it. It does take time, but I think in trying to move forward a really big project list, there have probably been some missed opportunities to do things that are faster to implement. Um, we don't have any real functioning bus lanes in Atlanta. The bus gets stuck in traffic. Mm. Um, 17th Street is not um, not what it needs to be. That's our only attempt at a bus lane. Yeah. Um, so we've got to get the bus out of traffic if we want people to use transit to get around. It, it has to make more sense than driving. And we have plenty of traffic to get out of. So I think um, there are a lot of opportunities. And I do think Marta is on the right track and focusing on bus rapid transit, which is um, you know, it feels more like a train or rail, and I've experienced it in other cities, but it's faster and cheaper to implement. And, it, you know, as a MARTA rider, you just want to be able to get around the whole city and the mm-hmm. whole region by transit. 
and not have to figure out all these, okay, what am I going to do when I get to this station and have, there's a 45 minute wait for the next bus. That's not, not practical. So um, having that uh, greater bus access, I think is going to make people's trips more realistic. Yeah. I mean, as someone who has used, uh, you know, MARTA in the past and typically I, I, you know, I won't say that I'm a frequent user. Um, I've used it for, you know, a special events, let's say for the Peachtree Road Race, or if I'm going down to a event downtown, um, or if I'm going down to the airport and I'm just going to, you know, not have to drive down there and pay for parking at the airport, um, then I'll use MARTA. I do feel that the inconvenience there is that there's, you know, there's a, a long wait be, between, you know, between at least the motor rail, you know, um, and it's one of those things where, you know, we've become a very car dependent, you know, society. And I don't think that's unique just to Atlanta, but, you know, is it, it's one of those questions where, you know, are we so dependent and so, um, reliant on our vehicles that we don't want to give that up or try to, uh, alternative modes of transportation? Um, or do you feel that if this, you know, to, you know, as they say, you know, build it and they will come, do you think that if we actually build a better infrastructure, that if we build safer roads and, and transit and, you know, bike lanes, that we would see an increase in, you know, that type of transportation and less reliant on our vehicles? Yeah, I do. Because, you can't ask people to pick a worse option when they have options. And right now what we're offering people um, in many situations, not everywhere, there are places in Atlanta where it makes a lot more sense to ride your bike or ride the bus or the train. Um, but I think to get around the region, we just haven't made it um, the best option yet. We haven't invested in it. You know, the state hasn't invested in, in transit, which is unusual. Other states invest in transit to the extent that they need to. We're starting to see some small um, transit investments from the state, and I would love to see that trend continue. But um, we've invested a lot of money in our highways, in our roads. We have a lot of massive roads that cut through the heart of our, our neighborhoods and our downtown and our midtown and um, Buckhead. And, you know, I think a lot of people will say, well, I don't see that many people biking. Well, yeah, we haven't built a network to bike on. You wouldn't see very many people driving if we hadn't paved the, the streets. Right. I, I, just, I don't understand that, that question I get asked a lot. Um, but there are a lot of people who, who are biking. You might not notice them because the infrastructure isn't there. There are a lot of people walking. Uh, we might not notice them because the speed of our cars is, is so fast on these streets. Um, and there are a lot of people riding transit. Um, and you might not see them because, you know, it's just without these bus lanes and, and other dedicated um, pieces of transit infrastructure, it's not as visible as, as it should be. Um, I worked in Atlanta um, during the Olympics um, at the Paralympic Village. And so I think anyone who experienced transit during the Olympics knows that if you have a high enough level of service and the other options are, are not available to you, people will ride it. And I think it worked for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Um, but you have to increase that level of service to bring it up to be on par with other kinds of transportation options. Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. one of the things that, that I think uh, from what I've seen as well is that while people say, well, there's not a lot of people that are, you know, let's say biking or, or, or commuting. And I think that what we forget is that, that there are people that are lower income that are probably 
going to use a bike to commute because they can't afford a car, you know, or the get high gas prices and everything else, the insurance and everything else that goes into it. And there's people that are, you know, trying to build up their lives, you know, by having a job, but not necessarily having, you know, the wealth that goes, you know, with owning a vehicle. And so they're, they're trying to make their way through life and, and, and build up, you know, a career profession by commuting, through bike, through transit, you know, MARTA, um, you know, I think students primarily, I think, are the ones I think of as well, um, as far as those that live on campus are probably more reliant on bikes to travel within the city, between classes, um, and I think that we tend to forget that if, if we're, you know, within our, you know, metal boxes on these highways, because we're not, you know, we're typically on those highways where we don't see bikes. But there are people that are using bikes on a regular basis, and you know they need a way of commuting and a safe way to commute. I th still think, as you know, growing up as a as a kid, where you know even if if you know if you lived in a more rural type of community or not in, in the city of Atlanta, you know we hear stories about kids riding their bikes, you know, to, to school. And I don't know that I would you know say that that's something safe that I would allow uh, you know or encourage a kid you know to ride a bike to school on their own because it just doesn't feel safe because the infrastructure is not there. Um, even in preparation for this conversation, you know, like I said, I've been thinking a little bit more about the bike commuting um, because I did attempt to do that at one point, you know, probably about, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, commuting from Decatur to, to Midtown and trying to find routes, you know, that I felt, you know, trying to find, you know, uh, roads that did not have a lot of traffic on them and mapping that out and maybe hooking on to a bike path, you know, to get to, uh, to, to my, to my job. And it really was sort of kind of stressful at times. If you're also commuting at that same time when there's rush hour traffic, there's a lot more cars on the road. And even recently I've started thinking about, well, how would I commute? You know, I mean, last week I had a meeting, um, up in, in, uh, Roswell and I live in Lithonia. You know, I was like, and I, and I like cycling and I have no problem cycling long distances. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how would I ride my bike if I wanted to leave early enough and get a good, you know, for, you know, just a great workout in, you know, and ride my bike on a nice day, you know, how would I be able to do that to a mm -hmm. place like Roswell or even from where I'm at, Lithonia down to Decatur. And I just don't see that. I don't, uh, you know, it could be done, but right. at the same time, I'm like, at, you know, you know, am I putting myself at risk, mm -hmm. you know, because I live uh, in a community that is, uh, you know, that has a, you know, speed limit's 45 miles an hour and people are passing and, and most of the times they're going above the speed limit and there's no um, designated bike lane. Um, in some areas, there's not even a sidewalk, which is one of the, you know, as a runner, that's one of those things I'm concerned about and, and looking at well, where can I run safely where, um, you know, I've been almost sideswiped, you know, while running, I've had dogs come out and, 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 you know, on the bike or even, you know, on a run and, and, and chase me. So I think those are things that I think, you know, whether you're doing it because it's part of your job to commute to work or whether you're doing it recreationally, these are all things that we have to kind of, you know, think about. Um, and be concerned about um, to improve our community uh, overall. So like I said, I, I, I like the idea of commuting by bike. Um, and it's just one of those things that I, 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 I would love to do it. I just, like you said, the infrastructure isn't there. And I think that if it was there, I would 
be more inclined to do it. Um, you, of course you'd have to plan for it. You have to maybe give yourself a little bit extra time, you know, but I think it's doable because I would love to say, instead of sitting in a car, you know, for myself who, who likes to ride and, and, and use it for the health benefits of it, I was like, I could commute and get healthy at the same time. Exactly. That's exactly. an accidental exercise. Exactly. Right? You're somewhere and you're getting in a workout at the same time. So you know, you don't need to necessarily belong to a gym or, or go out of your way to get exercise if you're exercising as you're getting places. So yeah, there's a ton of health benefits and there's a, a lot of um, emotional health benefits, I think, to it too, if you're not feeling the high stress that might come in some areas. Um, but I want to go back to what you were talking about, about the, these options as affordable transportation, because I do think a ton of people in Metro Atlanta are using biking and walking and transit because of the affordability aspect. Um, Atlanta has uh, continues to have a big inequality um, problem when it comes to people's incomes. You know, we still have racial disparities in incomes, racial gaps in wealth. Um, there was research a couple of years ago that we're one of the most um, inequitable cities when it comes to opportunity. Um, we had someone do some research into um, what does it look like to have access to jobs by transit. And um, Black Atlantans still have less, much less access to jobs, even by transit, which should be more of an equalizer. And I think can be an equalizer, but we have to, we have to do more to make sure that everybody um, around Atlanta can get on um, transit and has access to safe bike facilities because it's it's not spread equally, uh, and people don't have that that um, equal access to opportunity. And then you know a lot of families don't own a car; they might own one car. Um, you know, it can, it can be really expensive to own a car. Um, I think the annual cost right now is estimated to be about $11,000 a year when you factor in insurance and maintenance and taxes and all these things. Um, so for a lot of people's household budgets, $11,000, you're not, that's not just laying around somewhere. Oh, yeah. um, and for, for me personally, um, while I have had um, a lot of great opportunity in my life, there have been times when I was pretty broke. And I started out bike commuting in Atlanta because my car broke down. I had a crappy car and um, I was using it to drive to the MARTA station and it broke down. I couldn't afford to replace it or repair it. So I had an old bike that I'd used in college, dusted it off. Um, the seat had been chewed up a little by my dog, but you know, <laughs> got back out there. Um, and it was a real struggle the first time I biked, um, I think it was a mile and a half to the MARTA station in the West End. I'm not gonna lie, I was very out of shape. And um, I just fell in love with it, though. Um, it gave me such a sense of personal freedom. And um, I've never been great at owning a car. Uh, so <laughs> it was nice to have a bike that I understood how it worked. I could fix it up myself in a lot of cases. You know, of course, I got a flat the first time I tried it. Um, so I learned quickly, carry your, your breeze card with you because you could put that bike with a flat tire on the front of a bus any day. Um, so that was, I mean, it's just been a huge personal benefit for me, um, physical health, you know, like I mentioned, just the, um, the feeling of joy you get, um, moving yourself through time and space, I think it's really beautiful. Um, and I would love to see more people have access to that. Um, something we're working on right now around biking and affordability, I'm really seeing e-bikes, uh, taken off and we can really expand your travel shed. So for you, like you live in Lithonia, you're trying to get up to the north part of the city, um, an e-bike just gets you um, 
there faster. I think it helps people keep up with traffic better too while we're working on building out the infrastructure. So um, we're working with the Atlanta City Council member, Matt Westmoreland on an e-bike affordability project. So we're trying to get some subsidies for people to be able to afford to buy e-bikes. And around the country, these are taken off. Um, we're modeling our program on other cities. So I'm really excited for that because I think that could be a game changer for a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah, I did see something about that where you're working on something where it would be a rebate type of program, right, where they get kind of, a, you know, a rebate um, if they purchase a, an e-bike, um, you know, at least City of Atlanta residents would mm -hmm. be able to, to get that to kind of offset the cost of it. Because I do think, and that's one of those things when e-bikes first came out, um, and maybe there's still a little bit of controversy um, within the core cycling, you know, or maybe the the upper echelons and those that are really see themselves as real cyclists, you know, and I use that air quotes because a lot of people, you know, felt like, well, that's like cheating, you know, it's like, you're, you know, why would you have a, a, a motor on your, on your bike? That's not really a health benefit or, you know, why would you put that on a mountain bike or a road bike? And, you know, and I think that, you know, you know, what you want to do, or at least think about it is it's not necessarily, you know, obviously it wouldn't be legal in a race with non-powered bikes, you know, sure. Right. But the ability to provide access to uh, to people uh, to go a further distance than maybe they're physically capable of or maybe um, for someone that isn't in the greatest of shape, but it assists them. It doesn't necessarily power them. They still have to pedal, but it mm -hmm. makes that pedaling uh, easier for them to commute. Um, or for that matter, you know, you're able to ride your bike without having to, you know, be completely drenched in sweat, um, exactly. you know, because yeah, the effort around now, because I don't have to worry so much about that August, um, weather. I just, you know, turn on the pedal assist. And, um, if you're trying to, I think it really depends on what, why are you using the bike? If you're using it to get places, um, having the electric assist, it, it's just a benefit to you. Atlanta's super hilly. We have a, you know, half the yep. year is basically summer. <laughs> yep. Um, and we're pretty spread out. So I think for those reasons, e-bikes have a lot of potential here. Um, and then there have been um, research into the health benefits of them. And they found that because people bike more using an e-bike, you still get a pretty significant health benefit from an e-bike. Um, and then they're also finding that they do replace car trips. So from a sustainability and climate perspective, um, I think e-bikes are really kind of a sweet spot because they help with health, congestion, um, and climate, as well as um, family budgets and affordability. Yeah, I mean, I think the climate thing is one of those things that, um, you know, it's it's obviously something that's, you know, being discussed a lot in the media and politics, but, uh, you know, by the reduction of car use and being more uh, relying on, you know, transit and, um, you know, you know, commuting by bike or by, you know, on foot does reduce those emissions, does reduce that carbon footprint, you know, and I think it does help. It's, it's, you know, I don't know the studies, but I'm sure, you know, someone has done it to say by, by how much. And I think every little bit at this point helps. Um, but I want to go back because there's some things that I think, you know, you, you've done or at least, you know, um, you know, Atlanta Bike Coalition had done, you know, in the past because you guys have, um, based on my notes, like you said, you know, in the 96 Olympics, um, you guys secured um, bike parking lots uh, at the 96 Olympics. You 
convince Marta to add bike racks to all the buses and to, uh, provide bike access on the trains. So I think those are all great things and step in the right direction. And that's something that still is being done today. Um, and I think it does, especially when you don't have, you know, it, that expanded uh, transit that takes you kind of everywhere. Because I remember, I, I mean, I was born in uh, Queens, New York. You know, and so I remember as a, as a kid, I was only living there until I was about six years old and then lived in Philadelphia um, probably until about I was 12. And we're talking about major cities that have, you know, I, you know, you know, I don't I won't say good or great, but they definitely have because I'm sure they have their own problems and everyone would be, you know, ha would be able to point out you know issues with those cities and their transit. But it felt like there was a bus stop almost on every single corner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that if you had to walk, you didn't have to walk far to catch a bus. And I remember taking public transportation, you know, in a, you know, during elementary school because there was a shortage of school buses and overcrowding of schools that we would, you know, learn to take, you know, I mean, imagine a, you know, someone who's in elementary school, who's, you know, seven years old having to commute on their own or with other classmates in their neighborhood, you know, across town using you know, public transportation, you, mm -hmm. you know, and using a bus or a train or rail to, you know, commute to school every single day. And I remember back then, um, and I, you know, and if I had to tell the story, you know, the, the you know, having to walk uh, uphills in the snow both ways, I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I did that. I mean, yeah. I remember being out there in snowstorms, waiting on buses because they were delayed for an hour in, you know, below 30 degree weather. Um, but we did that. You know that's kind of what we did, and and the schools didn't didn't necessarily shut down at the, at that time, um, but that's something that we don't have here. We don't have that access to bus stops on, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be every street corner, but we do have to go quite a bit of a distance yeah. to get access to a bus, you know. Um, and then you might have a long wait once you get there. Exactly. So transferring those weights really add up. Right. So by adding the um, the bike racks to the bus does kind of help bridge that from wherever your starting point from your house to that bus stop that might be a mile away. Now you can commute, use your bike to get to that bike, you know, to that bus stop load your bike, you know, take the bus to, you know, your destination or the transfer to the next spot or to, you know, Marta Rail um, to get to your destination. But it made it that much easier because before that, you didn't really have that option. You had to maybe walk a mile or more to get to a, uh, you know, a bus stop to do. So I think that's something that I think, uh, you know, we maybe now take for granted because we see them everywhere, but it's something mm -hmm. that you guys worked on that I think has definitely helped those that do tend to bike commute and make it a bit easier uh, for them to use their bike and connect with, um, with you know, uh, public transit. Um, and then in uh, 2010, you guys did Atlanta Streets Alive, and that drew like a crowd of 6,000 people. So tell us a little bit more about that, because I think that's sort of kind of been a hiatus since I think the pandemic, right? What's the status yeah. of, of Streets Alive and, and what was that all about? Yeah, Streets Alive was really our effort to get people outside of their cars on city streets and reimagine what streets are for because um, we all pay for them with our local taxes. And yet, for the most part, um, they're really dominated by, by cars because of how they're designed. So um, 
we started it also uh, based on the experience that I have while living in Bogota and Colombia, Latin America, um, where they shut down the streets every Sunday. And it's a mega city, about a million people out of their 8 million um, total population come out every single Sunday, walk, bike, dance, um, just use the streets as people as, instead of being enclosed by cars. Um, and so that was really inspiring to me. And I think it really affected the city's culture as a whole. And I wanted that for Atlanta. I wanted, you know, the 25% of Atlantans who don't own a car to be able to, to use the streets and feel like they belong to, I think that, um, small D democracy is really important and the public space can reinforce our, our democracy. Um, so Streets Alive, we did that from 2010 to 2019 as the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition, our, our small nonprofit. Um, we had a high mark of over 100,000 people come out for one single date. Um, we had a 10 mile route one time, we called it the cross city route from city limit to city limit on the east side to the west side along Marietta Street, Decatur Street and DeKalb Ave. Um, so we had a lot of fun with it. I think it's a really beautiful thing. It brings a smile to my face to just remember it. Um, but it was always our goal that the city would take it over because we felt like this needs to be a city initiative. These are city streets and the city should be opening them up for people in all kinds of transportation um, to use and enjoy. So uh, we took the pandemic year to really push that idea, um, lay the groundwork for it. It's taken longer than I would have liked to make that handoff, but it is still, I think, in the in the works. Um, the city included funding to hire somebody to manage the program in this fiscal year budget that we're currently in. Um, and so that's something we're still pushing for. There's legislation that's on hold to make it a monthly initiative. Um, and we decided to do that on Peachtree Street because it's our signature street. I think it has a lot of meaning for folks. Um, it also has a lot of other options so that we on this regular basis, if people do need to drive or, or use transit, there's a lot of other streets they can use to get along that corridor. Um, and then there's five MARTA stations accessible to it as well. So stay tuned for more on that. I think um, it could come back in the fall of 2023. Um, that's my hope. And I think our dream of having people out on the streets on this very regular basis, where it really becomes something that Atlanta is known for, it's part of our city's fabric. Um, is something we can all get excited about. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I, I hope it does come back. I missed it and didn't uh, attend any of them, but I always saw it. And for some reason, I just never made it. It was always conflicted with something else I was doing or I was out of town. Um, but you know, that's why having it monthly is going to be so great for <laughs> exactly. Yes. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited to hear that, it, that, that, that there's a chance that it will come back this year. So, um, when it does come back for sure, I will, uh, keep an eye out for it and I will promote it heavily, um, and make sure that we're some, in some way kind of partner up with it to, to spread the word for sure. Um, other things that you've done, uh, at least the, uh, at least the, uh, on a bicycle coalition has done as well is, is the campaign for the, um, past that passed a three foot passing bill, um, that just makes it safer for cyclists. Now, you know, not everyone is aware of what that three foot passing bill is or, or what's the, the purpose of it or, you know, cause I do think that there's a lot of, um, I don't know if it's just, you know, lack of knowledge or, or uh, just a simple awareness of it. But tell us a bit of, of that, because uh, I, I do feel that I think specifically people that, you know, are, you know, 
drivers are not necessarily aware of it. Cyclists, I think, are aware of it. We're, we're kind of tuned into those type of things that help improve our safety. But, you know, for those that are just, you know, are just, you know, um, you know, drivers who might not be aware, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think for us, that initiative, which we worked on with Georgia Bikes, was um, really about raising driver awareness of the need to give more um, distance when they were passing somebody on a bike. Because, you know, I think there's a lot of folks out there in really big vehicles who maybe aren't as aware of the size of their vehicle, um, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Um, of course, today, a lot of people are looking at their phone or their in-vehicle um, computer systems as our vehicles get you know, quote unquote, smarter and smarter. I think our driving gets dumber and dumber. Um, so that's something that is definitely continues to be an issue. Honestly, I don't think it's had the impact that we hoped it would. Um, I do think driver education in Georgia is really lagging. As you know, my kids get older, they aren't provided any kind of driver education in school, um, whereas we were when I was a kid. Um, so I've had them hold off on driving because I, I don't think um, driving at the age of 16 when you're you're still struggling to remember your homework assignments um, you know putting you in charge of these life and death decisions to me I wasn't ready to do it so my kids ride Marta they walk they bike they use skateboards um, and they have their independence through these modes but I'm not ready to put them behind the wheel um, necessarily and so going back to the the three feet law We've shifted more towards um, what the data shows us, which is physical infrastructure changes people's behavior. So you can have infrastructure that reinforces good driving and biking and walking behavior by making um, the good choices the best choices. So when you're walking or running, that looks like frequent safe crossing. So people don't have to take their life into their hands just to get across the street. When you're biking, that looks like bike lanes that are physically separated, something that sticks up in the air, stands between you and the, the motor vehicles. And when you're driving, that looks like streets that are designed for a slower speed because speed is the biggest factor in whether a fender bender becomes a fatality. So, um, you know, you, you see people say sometimes things like, um, different traffic calming interventions will increase crashes. Well, if they increase people's fenders getting a little bit dinged up, but they decrease the number of people getting killed or injured, that's a win. Mm. And so that's what we need to do is really keep the focus on the safety of these um, types of infrastructure. And I think there's a lot more potential for that over looking at the legal system, which you know, really it's, it's not gonna be the starting point because that's really about enforcing something on the tail end as opposed to let's just prevent those crashes from happening in the first place. So going back to those physical barriers, because I would say that for anyone that is familiar with Atlanta, um, I think that one of the most recent changes I've seen over the last few years has been right on 10th Street over by Piedmont Park, where, you know, used to be a, a lane that was, you know, dedicated for cars and now it's strictly for cyclists and it's got, I guess, those plastic um, ballers there that, uh, you know, kind of stick up. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's noticeable, but at the same time, I see a lot of them kind of torn down or run over um, on, a, on a, you know, everywhere throughout the city, any, any place that's, that's like that. And I, and I know that there's sort of debate between doing that and actually putting like physical concrete structures or something a little bit more permanent to separate riders from, you know, from traffic. 
Yeah, when that um, protected lane, bike lane on 10th Street went in, that was a compromise with um, a lot of the stakeholders in the area to put in something that could be removed for large events because there are a lot, a lot of large festivals at Fremont mm -hmm. Park. Um, unfortunately, that compromise and the ease of um, removing the posts meant that they could be easily <laughs> removed. And we've seen people remove them just to park there on, an, on a regular day. So I do think there has to be a little bit more hardening of that um, protection. Um, and in other bike lanes that have gone in around the city, like Cherokee Avenue near the zoo is a good example of this. They've used posts that are more permanent um, and interspersed them with some concrete um, barriers even. And so that's the type of infrastructure that I think you really have to have. And that's the direction that we're pushing the city to go in. And then to go back to 10th Street, I mean, it's still one of the most popular um, facilities of its type and it connects to the Beltline and our signature park and so many other places and, and um, neighborhoods. So I do think it's really important that we don't lose sight of that. I know a lot of people are frustrated about it. I'm very frustrated about the state of it because I've been talking about it and working on it for so many years and to see it still be in the shape it's in is a little disheartening. Um, but I think we really need the Department of Transportation's budget to be one that includes maintenance of bike lanes specifically um, in its um, in its charter and, and in the budget because budgets are priorities. So they need to be able to buy one of the mini street sweepers that can actually sweep out that lane. Mm, yep. You know, when the leaves start to build up in the fall, it gets wet and slippery. Um, and they need to have the budget and the people to go out and replace those posts when they get damaged or removed and do that on a regular basis. You know, maintenance isn't necessarily fun or sexy, but it is essential when we build these pieces of infrastructure, we've got to maintain them. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the other thing that I've seen as well commented on through social media from individuals that do commute is really the, when there are actual bike lanes and maybe there's no physical barrier, is that they tend to find the access typically blocked by vehicles. They're using them to park there, so they're blocking that bike lane, uh, you know, so they're restricting um, access to the lane that's designated them, for them to travel safely, which means they have to then go out into the road, um, once again, putting them in, in at risk from, uh, from vehicles. Um, you know, is there some sort of, um, I don't know, it, you know, some enforcement of that? Is there ways to report individuals or people that are doing that? I know that I see a lot of times, especially I think with now with delivery services and, you know, um, that maybe, the, you know, I, I mean, I've seen everything from, from, you know, package delivery drivers to, you know, maybe um, U.S. Postal Service to Uber drivers and, you know, um, Uber Eats or whatever, using those lanes and blocking those lanes uh, they're specifically des designated for cyclists. What's, you know, what can be done about that? Or what is being done? Yeah, that's such a frustrating experience. Um, and I struggle with that one a lot because, you know, the network of bike infrastructure, it is so fragmented in Atlanta to see any part of it blocked is incredibly frustrating. And, and then to have that experience of feeling like, well, my safety isn't a concern for people. I'll just have to get out into traffic now when you're on your bike. Um, so I think the key here is we have to protect the infrastructure. There's no level of enforcement that we would want as a free society that would keep these bike lanes from being blocked because cars are kind of like water. If there's a crack, they will find the crack and they will seep in there. So you, you really have to have protected bike infrastructure in order for it to 
remain safe and accessible to people on bikes and scooters and, and other wheel devices. Um, unfortunately, we do have some streets where there's just not space for that physical protection. Um, you know, Edgewood comes to mind because of all the other things that we put on Edgewood. Um, that used to be the city's most used bike lane mm -hmm. back in the day. Um, but now I think because of all the competition for that curbside space, um, honestly, it's almost useless to me when I'm trying to use it. Uh, and it's just more frustrating than anything else. So I think that's something that as we're um, designing new infrastructure, we just have to make those hard choices because the trade-off often is um, when it comes down to the space, are we gonna prioritize a turn lane that will uh, maybe make it faster for people to drive or are we gonna set aside that space for physical protection for a bike lane? And so that's something that all of us as um, residents of Metro Atlanta getting involved in these conversations and um, speaking up and talking about what our priorities are is really important um, and doing that in a way that doesn't uh, demonize anyone for their choices mm -hmm. because a lot of people are, who are driving in Atlanta today, it's not their top choice. They would rather be doing something else. People don't enjoy being stuck in traffic, right. <laughs> um, but it's this chicken and egg problem of until we have better infrastructure, they're not going to make a different choice would make sense. People aren't dumb. Um, but how do we get that better infrastructure while we're still prioritizing the access by cars? So it, it's going to be a tough few years, I think, as we're trying to build this infrastructure. But once it's in place and we actually have a connected network, we're really going to see uh, tremendous benefits. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely a lot of hard work uh, ahead and uh, appreciate the work that you're doing. One thing that I'd, I'd also want to kind of, uh, you know, touch on as well, because, you know, we've have really spoken uh, a lot about cycling, but as far as pedestrian access, because it does remind me that even, you know, vehicles blocking bike lanes, even things like construction sites blocking sidewalks where, at one point, you know, just walking from one point, you know, on the same side of the street on a, on a sidewalk, all of a sudden you don't have access to it. And, you know, um, maybe not even having, uh, you know, there, there's a curb. I've seen some, some streets where they're providing access, especially for people that are, you know, disabled using a wheelchair, um, you know, where, or even signs placed on sidewalks that are actually blocking access to anyone that is a pedestrian or using some sort of assist, you know, whether it's a walker or a wheelchair access to get to a bus stop or just access to the other side of the, you know, of the sidewalk down the road. So what about things like that? Yeah, this is huge. Um, we have a board member who uses a wheelchair and she recently was on uh, Peachtree Road and both sidewalks on both sides of the street were blocked. So now she's in traffic on Peachtree Road. Um, so it's just, it shows a total disregard for people walking or using wheelchairs. Um, and it's incredibly upsetting, you know, just to see that kind of uh, decision making process. At the city level, there is really strong um, policy around maintaining space for people walking and using wheelchairs during construction projects. Now, whether that is always um, enforced or required, no, it's not. Um, and we would love for people to let us know if they see instances where the sidewalk is blocked on the city street because the city will come out and address it. On state routes, there is not a clear policy. It's more on a case-by-case -case basis, but the state did move um, pretty quickly once they learned about that issue, that the contractors were blocking the sidewalk on both sides of the street. Um, but we would love to see there be a policy at the state level as well, so it's a little bit more official. Mm -hmm. 
and you do see this in other walking cities, you would never shut down um, a sidewalk in New York without providing um, that temporary pedestrian safe access. And so that's yeah. something that I think our city culture, we all can do more to report that, um, contact our city council members, contact Propel ATL when you see that kind of situation, because, um, you know, even in my neighborhood, I'll stop and, you know, knock on the window of a contractor truck that's parked on the sidewalk, which I see all the time. I saw yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, those trucks tear up the sidewalk. We have to pay for that as taxpayers. We, we have um, some people have estimated a billion dollar backlog in um, sidewalk uh, wow. repairs that we made just in the city of Atlanta. Um, and that Moving Atlanta Forward Fund, it did allocate a really significant historic even investment in sidewalks. That was something we really pushed for. Um, because it's just such a basic building block of a city. Yep. A sidewalk, in my opinion, it is part of the street. It is not optional. It's not icing on the cake. It is part of the cake. Um, and we just have too many places in Atlanta, uh, particularly going back to the um, racist policies around redlining. Um, those neighborhoods still, their sidewalk coverage is really low. Uh, and so people are forced to walk in the street. Um, so I think, you know, pedestrian issues to me, that's that's really something that it's a basic building block of a good city. And we have to do more around that to get it right. Um, I think runners can be a big part of the solution yeah. to that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think communities um, really get louder about advocacy for, for sidewalk improvements and repairs and access. Um, because I think if you're running, you experience a lot more sidewalk and you know it's a really big issue. Yep, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate everything that you and Propel ATL is doing uh, to improve, you know, our city and access and the infrastructure because, it, you know, and talking to you, you know, and I, hopefully our listeners realize that it's not an easy job. And it can be, like you said, frustrating, if not at times, maybe a lot of times. Um, so I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to kind of chat with us and share kind of the projects you're working on. And, you know, really, uh, you know, to say, if anything, thank you for the work that you've already done. And I really look forward to the work that you will continue to do uh, on behalf of, you know, all of us in, in this community to make access, you know, um, safe and accessible to, um, you know, cyclists and pedestrians and just to help connect the city. Because I think in the end, it's, you know, um, it just makes us a, a lot better. It connects our communities and just makes us better neighbors. Um, so really appreciate you taking your time, um, you know, here today and uh, sharing what you're, you, you're doing um, uh, here with the city. Thank you so much. I hope your listeners will find us on social media, come out to our annual event, event the Blinky Awards on May 3rd at the Eastern and um, just get involved because you know it's not about any one organization it's really about everybody coming together as communities as neighbors um, and advocating for us to have uh, better ways to get around so thank you so much for having me oh absolutely and like I'll have all the links to um, all that in our show notes and uh, I'll, I'll mention it and wrap things up in the in the next segment uh, so appreciate it so much and uh, we'll be right back after this break. Big Peach now sells bikes at our Brookhaven and Midtown locations. Big Peach Ride and Run. We help get you into the right bike that fits you and your needs. Many of us enjoy being on two wheels as much as our own two feet. It's not only a great way to stay active and fit, 
It's also a great way to recover from long runs and have fun. We carry kids, commuter, mountain, gravel, road bikes, and more. No matter what you prefer, with brands like Giant, Live, a division of Giant that makes bikes exclusively for women, and Momentum, we've got whatever bike you're looking for. Stop by and check out the selection of bikes at Town Brookhaven or Midtown, right on Peachtree Street, or view our inventory online at BigPeachRideAndRun.com. And welcome back, everyone. So that was a great conversation. And man, the work, the amount of work and dedication that Rebecca and her team uh, do at Propel ATL is just incredible. And, um, you know, I, I can't imagine the amount of frustration that would come from working with the city and in, in just different public and government entities to get... Um, you know, some of these things accomplished and some things even, you know, um, delayed or held back for a variety of reasons because, you know, I, I would say I'm not really that patient of a person and I would love to see these changes kind of happen very, very quickly. So, um, you know, great job um, by um, Propel ATL, Rebecca and her team um, because there's a lot, a lot of work to be done. Um, I know I've seen, you know, other cities that are... Um, doing a lot better job at uh, bike infrastructure. But at the same time, Atlanta is moving forward. I remember when I first moved here uh, back in, uh, I think it was uh, late 2000, that Atlanta was voted like one of the worst, if not second of the worst cities for cycling. And it's, it's, it's made some improvements. It's made some changes. It's getting better. Um, I would love to see... Um, the ability to ride my bike uh, safely to different communities, to um, to different festivals or events, to have better infrastructure through transit from MARTA to you know you know a variety of different things, um, and uh, you know, but that's going to take some time. And uh, I think the work that you know Rebecca and her team are doing is just phenomenal. And, you know, I know that most of you are either runners or cyclists. We also, I'm sure, drive. And I do think that, you know, this episode and the information shared could be uh, very valuable to you as far as getting involved, maybe looking up the programs available through Propel ATL. Um, and I know that there's a lot of people out there that are very car-centric that don't feel that cyclists should be on the road um, for a variety of reasons, a lot of misinformed reasons. But more than anything else, someone on the road, whether they're a runner, a cyclist, or whether it's you know, a, a sidewalk or whatever, that we are all human beings, that we all deserve um, to live a long life that we enjoy uh, deserve to be out on the road for whatever purpose we may be out there whether it's for commuting whether it's for health reasons for enjoyment whether it's for transportation um, so please be careful out there let's look out for uh, one another and make sure that uh, not only are we safe but that we look out for others and that they're safe as well and I think the work that the, that propel ATL is doing is is just fantastic. So that will end our episode um, today. Um, I, you know, looking ahead, um, I looked at my calendar um, so that I don't forget races that I've signed up for, and I'll kind of keep myself accountable um, because I do need to get back on, uh, on on training now that I've had a chance to recover from um, my last race. But I do have the guts. 
um, Helen Back Marathon. So I have 26.2 miles of trail to run on April 22nd up in Helen, Georgia. So I got to get back on the trails, got to get back on uh, the road to do uh, some long mileage and maintain the fitness that I had and see if that same strategy that I used in my last race will work uh, for that. So that'll help prepare me um, for the Leadville Marathon in June. And then the following weekend, I've got the GAPS uh, G2 uh, gravel ride uh, up in um, in the Dahlonega area. So that's 60 miles of gravel, probably mixed gravel and road use. Um, probably majority will be gravel with uh, 7,000 feet of elevation climb. So I got to definitely start getting on the, on the bike and training on, uh, hillier routes and learning how to, how to climb for a, a good uh, amount of time. And then the week after that, I've got moved for Grady where I've signed up to do a hundred mile ride down in, uh, South Atlanta, down in, you know, Fairburn, Sonoya, Serenby type of area. So that should be a fun, um, you know, good time. And man, like I said, it's spring, so this is the perfect time to get out there. Um, and maybe I'm being a little ambitious with uh, three different events back to back to back. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I think I can do it. And like I said, I'm not going out there to kill it or race it. I'm just improving my fitness for the back half of the year where I've got some other things kind of lined up. So Hope you guys uh, enjoy the episode. Hope you guys get out there and, you know, enjoy the weather that's that's coming. The spring weather should be perfect. Uh, and go to some festivals. I know they're popping up uh, around the city. Um, if you can, commute uh, by bike, by, you know, rapid transit or any type of transit that you can and um, by, by foot. But until next time, keep running, keep riding, and keep believing yourself. See ya. Do you have a story or know someone with a story that can inspire, motivate, or even empower others? Email me at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. I want to share your story. Don't forget to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with others.